0: All right, let's start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day uh, full of snow, and we thank you for uh, the wonder of your creation and the beauty that we see all around us all the time. We thank you for your sovereignty over your creation and your sovereignty over history, uh, that you are in control from the very beginning to the very end, and we thank you so much that your love encompasses us and that your love includes your plan of redemption across all of history Uh, your your plan to redeem fallen mankind from the effects of sin and from your wrath we thank you for sending jesus uh, to be born as a baby all those years ago to live a sinless life and to die the death that that i should have died to die that death on the cross, to pay for the sins of all of your redeemed. We thank you, Lord, that you were pleased to raise him from the dead and that he sits at your right hand interceding on our behalf. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for especially this book of Revelation that we're studying now so that we can get a glimpse of what it will be like in the end times. And Lord, let it be a motivation for us to spread the gospel to those that are lost and are headed for these disasters that we read about, our friends and family members and neighbors and co-workers who are not yet saved. Let it be a motivation for us today, Lord, and every day. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here we are, part 21 uh, of our study of the book, of Revelation, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to call this lesson When God Breaks His Silence. Uh, We're going to study Revelation chapter 10 today. And this is sometimes referred to as the interlude. So uh, chapter 10 and chapter 11 are between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet. So today's lesson and next week's lesson uh, fall between two of these trumpets. And then we'll get to the seventh trumpet. So today we'll talk about God breaking his silence. Uh, We'll see an unusual angel. We'll see an unusual act. We'll see an unusual answer. We'll see an unusual announcement. And we'll see an unusual assignment. Um, And you'll see, um, for example, this. uh, John eating a little scroll. We'll see. We'll see that today. Um, okay, so that's today. But let's uh, first take a look at what we did last week. Take a little review um, of the sixth trumpet. So we were in the second part of chapter nine last time, and that was the sounding, the sixth angel sounding the sixth trumpet, which led to some satanic slaughter. So the sixth angel sounds the trumpet, and John hears a voice. Uh, So it's not the angel, it's a separate voice. It's coming from the altar. Um, And the voice commands the sixth angel to do something. Uh, And the sixth angel releases four other angels, the four angels, that are bound at the river Euphrates. Uh, and so that's a specific group. Uh, this, this the four angels is a specific group. And these angels are bound. And so we talked about last time the fact that holy angels are never bound. And so these are uh, descriptions of demons, leaders of demon armies, which we're about to see. Um, and the demon armies, the, the, these leaders of the demon armies, uh, the, what the demon armies do is kill a third of mankind. And there's a bunch of them. Uh, this this demon horde 200 million to be precise um, and then there's a description in this, that passage of scripture we studied last week of what the riders look like and what the horses look like. So there's a, first a description of the riders that's color of fire and brimstone. Uh, it looks like kind of fire and brimstone riding on these strange horse-like things. Uh, the horses have head legs, heads like lions um, and they have... Uh, their, their purpose, the purpose for which they were bound for all that time and then released at the right time, was to kill a third of mankind with fire and smoke and brimstone. Um, and so John uh, is made aware that the power of these horses this demon horde is in their mouths and in their tails and it's a lion's head and a serpent's tail we talked about and so there's a, a little artist rendition that we showed last time uh, who knows what they really looked like this is john seeing something in a vision that's essentially indescribable he's using uh, his the best he can. He's describing it the best he can in uh, language that uh, helps us to understand this uh, s- kind of supernatural vision he's seeing. And so this demon horde comes up and it kills a third of uh, mankind, two, two billion people, something like that. And so uh, it's the the biggest catastrophe since the flood. The flood killed everybody but eight. Uh, This is going to kill a third of the people that are left after all the other disasters that we've seen. Um, The first, the the six seals and the the first five trumpets. Now this sixth trumpet kills a third of what's left. Um, And then we get this sad uh, phrase at the end that um, those who were not killed did not repent. So there's not a mass revival after... Uh, this judgment. Uh, There's just not. Uh, They continue in their sin, and and John lists five particular sins that they continue in. Idolatry, murder, sorcery, immorality, and theft. So things continue to be bad. People continue to behave badly. Uh, Even after these judgments uh, that God brings on the earth, uh, the progressive judgments that keep getting worse and worse and worse, that are God's final opportunity for people to repent. And the sad f- fact is that most people won't. vast majority of people will not repent, even in spite of these judgments. And so, any questions about what we did last time? Any le- remaining questions? All right, let's dive into Revelation chapter 10. So if you open your Bibles, or your devices... To Revelation chapter 10 we're going to dive into the scripture here so Revelation chapter 10 uh, we're going to do the whole chapter it's only 11 verses uh, chapter, Revelation chapter 10 verses 1 to 11 this is the first part of the interlude this is the word of the Lord I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven clothed with a cloud And the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book, which was open. He placed his right foot on the sea, and his left on the land, and he cried out with a loud voice, as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. When the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. Then the angel, whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land, lifted up his right hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it that there will be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished, as he preached to his servants the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me, and saying, Go, take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel, telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, Take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and in my mouth it was sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter." And they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. So this is the word of the Lord that we wanted to look at today. Revelation chapter 10. So uh, keep your Bibles open and uh, we'll go through, uh, first I'll give you a little introduction from MacArthur as usual. So this is MacArthur's introduction to this section of scripture in his commentary. He says, a question that has troubled God's people throughout history is why God has allowed evil in the world. The wicked often appear to prosper. Sin seemingly runs wild and unchecked. Why, people ask, does God not stop all the carnage, corruption, and chaos in the world? Why does he allow his children to suffer? When will divine justice prevail and the righteous be delivered from the wicked and the wicked punished? In the midst of his trials, Job complained that the tents of the destroyers prosper and those who provoke God are secure. Why do the wicked still live, continue on, also become very powerful? Job 12 and Job 21. The psalmists frequently ask why God tolerates evil men. All the pain, sorrow, suffering, and evil in the world cause the godly to long for God to intervene. A day is coming when he will break his silence a day when all the purposes of God concerning men in the world will be consummated. At that time, the Lord Jesus Christ will return and establish his earthly kingdom. He will rule righteously with a rod of iron, Psalm 2, and the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, Isaiah 11. All the atheists, agnostics, and scoffers who mocked the thought that Christ would return, 2 Peter 3, will be silenced. The millennia of sin, lies, murders, thefts, wars, and the persecution and martyrdom of God's people will be over. But before the seventh trumpet sounds, there will be an interlude, which stretches from chapter 10, verse 1, to chapter 11, verse 14, allowing John and present-day readers to pause and assimilate the startling truths that have just been revealed to him. The interlude between the sixth and seventh trumpets parallels such interludes in the seal and bowl judgments. Between the sixth and the seventh seal seals came the interlude of chapter 7. Between the sixth and seventh bowls comes the interlude of chapter 16 verse 15. These interludes encourage people's, God's people in the midst of the fury and honor and horror, the fury and horror of divine judgment, and remind them that God is still in sovereign control of all events. During the interludes, God comforts his people with the knowledge that he has not forgotten them and that they will ultimately be victorious. That is especially true in the longest, in terms of the amount of material devoted to it, of the three interludes, this one between the sixth and seventh trumpets, all of Chapter t- 10 and 11. Believers alive during that time will endure the unimaginable horrors of a demon-assaulted, sin mad world. Like the believers of Malachi's day and Malachi 3, they will fear being swept away by the divine judgments that are ravaging the earth. God will comfort and reassure them that he has not forgotten them and that he still controls events and protects his own. Chapter 10 describes the opening events of this interlude preparing for the final trumpet blast so that's MacArthur's intro to this section and so let's take a look verse by verse so starting in verse 1 and the beginning of verse 2 we see uh, that John sees I saw another angel strong angel coming down out of heaven so he's seen lots of angels we've had a whole series of angels Uh, just last chapter we had uh, the angel of the sixth trumpet and then there were four other j- angels that were actually uh, fallen angels. Now we see another strong angel, another angel he sees. Another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book, which was open. So, once again, John's having a vision. So And throughout Revelation, we see it. Uh, there's this uh, uh, same Greek word, Adon. It's in the beginning of chapter 4, chapter 7, chapter 15, chapter 18, chapter 19 um, and here we see it again and it marks the beginning of a new vision so when, when we see this Greek word and translated in English, I saw it's a transition to a new vision so this is a new vision, a strong angel um, and he's seen of course the first six trumpets uh, throughout chapter 8 and chapter 9 Uh, he saw a vision of someone he has not seen yet. So it's a new angel. Uh, This strong angel is distinct from the seven angels who sound the seven trumpets. Uh, Some over the years have identified this angel as Jesus Christ, but there are several factors here Against that uh, identification. And I just want to go through some of those Uh, because we get these clues in Scripture and we have to put them together, especially in a book like Revelation, to be able to get a a firm understanding of what's going on here. So, uh, for example, uh, we have the use once again, and I've mentioned this before, of the word, the Greek word, alas. Uh, It means another of the same kind. And there's a different Greek word, eteros, which means another of a different kind. Uh, They're both another. But this, the word that's used here is another of the same kind. And so he's just been talking about angels. And here's another of the same kind of angels that he's been talking about. Uh, this said, so it identifies the angel as one like the previous mentioned trumpet angels. Uh, if Christ were being referred to here, we would expect the word another of a different kind. Because Christ is not of the same kind as angels. Um, Christ is essentially different from angels, uh, and he could be, not be described as the same as other angels, since they are created and he's uncreated and eternal God. Second, whenever Christ appears in Revelation, John gives him a special title, an unmistakable title. And I'll just go through a few of these, this is, there are more. Um, In chapter 1, he calls him the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Also the Son of Man. Also the first and the last. Also the living one. In chapter 2, the Son of God. In chapter 3, he who is holy and who is true. Uh, Also the Amen and the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. In chapter 5, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. In many of the chapters, the Lamb. And so when we see Christ, we get a special title for him, and that's absent here. Um, So we would think if it was going to be another vision of Christ that we would get one of these messianic titles that John tends to use everywhere else in Revelation, whenever it's uh, distinctly uh, Christ that's being, uh, that he sees in the vision. Uh, third, it is inconceivable that Christ, the second person of the Trinity, could make the oath that the angel makes in verses 5 and 6. Uh, we see that the angel uh, swore by him who lives forever and ever. Since Christ is God, he would swear by himself. Hebrew chapter 6, God swears by himself, not another. And so, if it was Christ, he would swear by himself, not another. Um, and finally, the angel comes down out of heaven to the earth. And if he was Christ, this would be another return of Christ that's not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. Um, uh, so, and it's not like the descriptions of the, uh, the second coming of Christ that we have in Matthew 24 and 25 and Second Thessalonians 1. So, so, for all those reasons, even though some have identified this angel as christ it doesn't appear that the scripture supports that Uh, so it's an angel it's a powerful angel uh, john says but it's not the living risen christ so having introduced this powerful angel john describes his attire Uh, He was clothed with a cloud, wearing the drapery of the sky over his shoulders. And clouds are often associated in Scripture with God's coming judgment. We see that in Revelation in a couple of places. In Matthew 24, in Mark 13 and 14, in Luke 21, clouds associated with God's judgment. Now, the rainbow is very interesting. Um, The rainbow... um, uh, brilliant colors around the, the head the same word used in chapter 4 to describe the rainbow that encircled the throne of God uh, so we have clouds and we have a rainbow um, the cloud symbolizes judgment but the rainbow represents God's covenant mercy in the midst of judgment where did the rainbow first come from the flood and Noah and why why was the rainbow there promised that he wouldn't destroy the the earth with a with a flood again. So it was a symbol of God's mercy and his covenant not to destroy his people. And so here we have that rainbow here again. So we have clouds symbolizing judgment, but we have also a rainbow with this angel symbolizing God's covenant protection of his people, his promise not to destroy his people. In the flood, of course, it was not to destroy with water. But here we have this angel who's coming to announce judgment, but he also comes with a rainbow. Um, So God's judgment and God's mercy both together. And we often see that, uh, his judgment and his mercy coming together. Even in the midst of judgment, we see God's mercy. Any questions so far? Questions, comments so far? Okay. After the flood, God gave the rainbow as the sign of his promise never to again destroy the world by water. The rainbow with which the angel is crowned will assure God's people of his mercy in the midst of coming judgment. So this is the interlude before the final crescendo. We're going to get the seventh trumpet, which includes the seven bowls. And with it, God's wrath, the final measure of God's wrath is poured out. But in this interlude, before that happens, we get this angel. And one of the things that the angel is closed with is the rainbow. And so we have God's mercy in the midst of even the worst of the pouring out of the, the maximum wrath that's going to be poured out when we get to the seventh trumpet in the bowls, the rainbow is there to remind uh, of God's mercy, even in the midst of the massive wrath to come. So and then he moves on to describe the angel's appearance. Uh, he says his face is like the sun, his feet and his legs, um, they're like firm, stable, immovable pillars of fire. Uh, remember, this is a vision once again. So John's using—he's doing the best he can—to describe something indescribable. This mighty angel. Um, some argue that the use of, of the Greek word uh, biblari don dion Biblaridon, don dion—I can't pronounce it. There's a there's a different form of the Greek word here to describe this this book which is why we put the English word little there it's a diminutive form of the ordinary word for book biblion Um, and so some have argued that therefore it's a different book Um, but that overlooks the fact that this Greek word is just the diminutive form of the same biblion Um, and that subsequently the the that the word biblion was used to refer to the little little book um uh subsequently in uh, 10.8 so uh, i think the um the most likely thing is that this book is the same book from chapter five um the diminutive form merely adds a kind of a further description in this particular vision of the same book that he's seen before um the book needs to be smaller uh, in the vision for the sake of symbolism because John's got to eat it um, so it's got to be it's got to be small enough in this particular vision for John to actually eat it within the vision within the vi- remember this is all within the vision um, the in this phrasing uh, there's the, uh, the use of the per- the Greek tense the perfect participle and it's translated which was open Uh, But the emphasis here is that the scroll being open, having been opened, it will remain open. That's the perfect participle Greek tense. It's open. It's going to stay open. It's been open. It's now open. It's going to continue to be open. Uh, because Because why? Because the Lamb opened the seals. And all the seals are open now. And when the Lamb opens the seals, they stay open. And so it's the perfect participle tense that's used here for the description of which was open. Um, And that further identifies it with the now fully unrolled scroll that we saw in in chapter 5. So the little book lying open in this unusual angel's hand unveils all the terrors of divine judgment yet to come. So uh, the seventh seal contained the seven trumpets, and we've seen the first six of those trumpets. Now we're going to see the seventh trumpet. And the seventh trumpet contains the seven sea- uh, bowls. And so it's all open. And now we're going to get the last of it to be, to be revealed. Then continuing uh, with the, the rest of verse 2 and into verse 3. John, continuing to describe division, says he placed his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. So a massive, massive angel to be able to stand with one foot on the ocean and one foot on the land. Um, And he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. So the fact that he has one foot in the sea and one foot in the land means, in, the, in this vision, John is envisioning envisioning a huge angel. This thing is massive to be able to stand with a foot in the ocean and a foot on the land. Uh, so there's no there's no limitation given on describing the sea and the land. This action of the angel demonstrates God's sovereign authority to judge the entire earth, all of the sea, all of the land, um, and we've seen, of course. The description of God's sovereignty is throughout the entire Bible Um, but this is another picture of it in a vision by John this is a picture of God's sovereignty through uh, exercising his authority through this angel over the land and over the sea Uh, We've seen it uh, before this in Revelation. We see it in in Exodus when God has control over all the plagues in Egypt. Uh, We see it in Psalm 69. Uh, Paul wrote about it in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Uh, So we have, that's a common theme of scripture is God's sovereignty. And this is just another picture of it. Uh, the angel's act also symbolically anticipates the coming judgments of the seventh trumpet in the seven bowls so he's got this scroll that the lamb has already unsealed all the seals um, and in that um, scroll is the final judgments for the seventh trumpet and the bowls in keeping with his huge size the angel cries out in a huge voice So it's a huge angel with a huge voice and he cries out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. So he's using uh, descriptive language once again. So uh, he hears this massive, mighty voice and he says, what can I compare that to? Well, I'll compare it to a lion's roar. Um, So this loud cry reflects the power, majesty, and authority of God through this angel. Uh, The Old Testament prophets... Also connect loud, lion-like, roaring voice with judgment. We see that in Jeremiah chapter 25, Hosea 11, Joel 3, Amos 1, Amos 3. Uh, That's a a common way that the prophets of the Old Testament described um, God's judgment. And so um, John, although... Not quoting from the Old Testament here is using, once again, Old Testament images, imagery, descriptions. um, That's uh, another common thing in the book of Revelation. Not directly quoting Old Testament passages, but using imagery that would have been familiar to anyone that was familiar with Old Testament scriptures like John was. Any questions about any of that so far? Questions, comments? Okay. We're moving along fast. <clears throat> uh, after the angel cried out, an amazing thing happens. There's these seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. So there's seven voices that sound like peals of thunder to John. Um, once the, as soon as the angel cries out, so this huge angel cries out in a huge voice, and then after the angel, the seven peals of thunder, voices that sound like thunder, uh, cry, uh, utter their cry uh and in the bible of course seven is the number of completeness and why is seven the number of completeness because of creation so seven days god created the entire universe uh, so the whole thing was done in seven days. And so uh, then in the Bible, seven becomes a number that's associated with completeness. So seven speaks of completeness, finality, perfection. Uh, everything was very good when God finished creating. Uh, thunder is often a harbinger of judgment in Scripture. We see that in other places in Revelation, chapter 8, chapter 11, chapter 16. We also see it in First Samuel, chapter 2, and Second Samuel, chapter 22, Psalm 18, John 12. Thunder... Uh, a harbinger of judgment in Scripture. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 7, for example, the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were routed before Israel. Uh, So thunder, God's judgment on the Philistines. Uh, He directly intervened in a battle and it's described as thundering. God thundered with a great thunder uh, against the Philistines. So this is an image in scripture that goes back to the Old Testament that John is using because he's trying to describe these things and he often uses this kind of imagery from the Old Testament uh, to, to try to describe what he's seeing in the vision. Um, so, this thunder. So, the thunder was separate from the angel's voice. So, it was the angel's voice and then these thunders. Um, and may have represented the voice of God because God was in the thunder here in the, in the Old Testament. We see that. Uh, the text does not say what the thunder said. Uh, But hearing it certainly would have added to the terror of the scene of judgment here for John in this vision. Uh, And then we get this curious little uh, set of scriptures right here, uh, starting in verse 4 verse 4, so John's going along. He's been told to write down all this stuff he sees. And when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write. So just like all, all the other times I see a vision, I write it down. I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken and do not write them. So he's told not to write what these say. So the seven peals of thunder did not merely make a loud noise. They were communicating information to John that he was about to write down. So they they said something. Those thunders said something. Um, In obedience to God's commands, John had already written what he was seeing in visions. In chapter 1, I was in the Spirit in the Lord's day, and I heard a behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying write in a book what you see so this is what he's been told write 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 in a book what you see later in chapter 1 write the things which you have seen the things which are and the things which will s- take place after these um, and then in, for each of the seven churches he was told to write down this letter to the ch- seven churches uh, in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and then uh, later in Revelation he's once again will be commanded to write what he sees in chapter 14 chapter 19 chapter 21 over and over again he's told to write what you see write what you see he's specifically commanded to write what he sees and now he's told do not write what the seven thunders have said uh, he hears this voice from heaven so another voice from heaven saying do not write so it's not the angel it's not the seven thunders it's another voice that says do not write them down um, whether the voice was that of the Father, of Jesus Christ, or another angel is not revealed. It's just another voice. That's the only description we get it, of it in Scripture. Uh, the command, however, clearly originates from God. Um, the, the one who commanded John to write uh, in the first place and then... To tells him to write throughout um, this is a a command that has to originate from God whether it's relayed by an angel or not uh, that he's not to write down specifically what these seven thunders have said Uh, the reason John was forbidden to record the message of the seven peals of thunder is not revealed we don't know Uh, it may be that the judgment they uttered is simply too terrifying to be revealed or God just doesn't want us to know uh, any speculation as to the specific content of their message is pointless. Had God wanted it to be known, He would have not forbidden John to write it. So, he, it, God obviously doesn't want us to know. He wanted John to know, so He actually had it said so that John could hear it, but He didn't want anybody else to know. And so He told John not to write it down. So, John got to hear, nobody else gets to hear. Yes. <laughs> Yes, it did. As a matter of fact, we're going to get to that here in a minute. It's happened a couple of other times, not just Daniel. It It's happened more than one time in Scripture. So very good. So that's good to make this connection, uh, really good to make this connection, that this, in fact, has God's done this before. He did it to Paul as well. Um, so um, God has revealed to certain of his servants things, which he has specifically told them not to tell anybody else. Um, and then revealed in Scripture that he's done that, so that we would know that he did that, but not know what he said to that particular prophet. Very interesting that we should that he should make sure that we know that there's these other things that he's, that he's revealed. And then also that he's not going to tell us. Uh, and so, as we just heard, Daniel also was forbidden to record certain elements of his visions. Uh, Daniel 8.26, he was commanded, the vision of the evenings and mornings, which has been told, is true. But keep the vision secret, for it pertains to many days in the future. So he was told, He was there's a lot of stuff about the future that he did write down, but something, Daniel was told something, that he was told not to write down, keep it secret. He was told. Uh, the apostle Paul was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. Second Corinthians, twelve. So there were things that he saw that he was told not to not to write down, not to describe, not to not to talk about um, about heaven. So there are some truths that God has chosen not to reveal, um, although He did reveal them to certain people throughout history and then told them not to not to say anything um, and as Raymond just said Deuteronomy twenty nine, twenty nine: the secret things belong to the Lord our God but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of this law and so there's a, an acknowledgement an understanding that there are certain things that God um, does not reveal to us Uh, for his own purposes for his own um, in his own wisdom his will is that these things not be revealed to us Um, and and he has um, quite curiously um, made sure we know that that there there are things that he's not telling us Uh, why do you think that is that, he's, that he, not only does he not tell us everything, but he tells us that he's not going to tell us everything. There you go. I think that really is the key, that um, this is an opportunity that God is giving us to exercise faith in him, trust in him, uh, that he really does know what he's, he's doing, and that we know that there's things he knows that we don't know, and we just need to trust that He knows best and His ways are best and that, uh, that His will and plan are perfect and better than ours and better to, he, that He can use that information better than we can. So the words of the peals of th- seven peals of thunder fall into this category of secret things God has chosen not to reveal. Uh, they are the only words in the book of Revelation that are sealed. Everything else, John's told to write. These, whatever these seven thunders said are sealed, and told, he's told not to write. Everything else, told to write. Uh, so, continuing, verse 5. Uh, so, so, we've got this, the seven peals of thunder. Whatever they said, we don't get to know. Then, in verse 5, Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever and ever who created heaven and the things in it and the earth and the things in it and the sea and the things in it. So he swears by god almighty uh solemn act, the angel whom john saw standing on the land and the sea lifted up his right hand the little buck must have been his left hand if he's lifted up his right hand um, where god dwells the standard gesture for making a solemn vow we see that in deuteronomy 32 in daniel chapter 12 raising the right hand to make a solemn vow to take such a vow is to affirm before god that one is going to speak the truth that, that vow indicated that what the angel was about to say was of the utmost importance and truthfulness. The angel took his vow in the name of him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it. Uh, that designation for God stresses his eternity and his sovereign power in and over every single thing in his creation. Um, so that's a, uh, a long-winded description of God to make sure we know who we're talking about. It's the almighty creator of heavens and earth, sovereign over all his creation and everything in it. Whether it's the heavens, it's the land, it's the sea, all of it, God is sovereign over all of that. And that's who the angel is making his vow to, that it, what he's about to say is going to be true. Okay, uh, then he continues uh, and this is what he's going to say, that there will be there will be delay no longer. So there's not going to be any more delay, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. And so what this angel is saying is, we're about to have the final, um, unleashing of God's wrath and then it's going to be finished there will be no more delay this is going to be it so the specific content of the angel's oath was that there will be delay no longer uh, and that answers the question that we got in chapter 6 how long well here it is no more delay that's the answer to that question that we got way back in chapter 6 how long and the prayers of the saints in chapter 8 how long Uh this is it. The delay's done. Uh, God has finished his uh, delay his mercy in delaying the final judgment that's done. Uh, there's no more delay because uh, now the seventh angel, seven trumpets about to sound that seven trumpet includes the seven bowls and that's all. that's the final wrath poured out by God Uh, the phrase but the days of the voice of the seventh angel when he's about to sound indicates the judgment of the seventh trumpet is about to come and that it's not a single event notice days plural not the day of the seventh trumpet, but the days of the voice of the seventh trumpet. Um, so it's not a single event, it covers days, uh, indicating a, s- a period of time. And we've talked about this before that the tribulation is seven years, the great tribulation is the, back in three and a half years, and so these things are taking some time. And they will continue to take some time. And we get that that comes out in the fact that it's days of the seventh trumpet, not the day of the seventh trumpet. Uh, This period includes the seven bowl judgments, which we'll get to in uh, uh, chapter 16, uh, which would appear to require some weeks or months to unfold. We'll get there when we get to these seven bowls. The things that happen in those seven bowls are not an instantaneous thing. They take some time. Uh, And so we'll see that. So the sounding of the seventh trumpet brings the final judgment depicted in the bowls of fury poured out on the earth. Final wrath of God poured out on the earth. We're going to see that. And the this angel is announcing that there won't be any more delay. This is about to happen. So the time of God's patience is seen as having ended. Uh, the time for the final acts of judgment are at hand. Uh, he's been merciful on sinful mankind, waiting for the time of all of his elect to come in but what he's saying now is that time is now past it's done this is the last of the 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 last of the wrath the last of the last chance uh, to come to a saving knowledge of christ and then the final judgment we're going to get the great white throne judgment coming up after that so uh, that the time, the time anticipated in the disciples' questions in Matthew twenty-four and Acts one has come. So when, are, when are, what's the hour? What's the day and the hour? When is it coming? Well, here it is. Uh, we finally get that question answered too. Uh, the prayers of all the saints of all the ages for the consummation of God's kingdom are about to be answered. Uh, when the seventh angel sounds, the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Yes. Amen. Anybody recognize where that comes from? What song uses that scripture? Messiah. The, uh, the Handel's Messiah. So that's that's from Handel's Messiah. Um, the, uh, uh, and it's from the book of Revelation is where it's really from. But, but Handel's Messiah is quite remarkable it's it's singing scripture is what it really is uh it's it's playing it's putting music and s- putting in in song of scripture both from the old testament and the new testament uh but when we get to the end to the hallelujah chorus it's quoting here from revelation chapter 11 uh, and we're about to get there we're we're about to have that happen and the angels announcing that that's about to happen Um, At that time, the mystery of God will have been finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets, so the mystery of God. Uh, Mystery in Scripture refers to truths God has hidden and will reveal in his perfect time. It's the consummation of God's plan and bringing his glorious kingdom in Christ to fulfillment. It involves the salvation of the elect and their place in his glorious kingdom and all that goes with that. And it includes the judgment of men and demons. And so this mystery, the consummation of this mystery, the mystery of the ages, is about to be finally revealed, the final act of this play. Uh, The mystery previously hidden refers to all the unknown details that are revealed from this point to the end of Revelation. So the mystery uh, that this angel is talking about uh, when the new heavens and the new earth are created. So all these things that are about to be revealed um, are are the the final consummation of God's plan that he put into um, effect at the foundation of the world. Um, those things are about to come to their consummation. Those mystery, the final mysteries about to be revealed, is what the angel is saying here. And very interestingly, God had preached that mystery, is what the scripture tells us, um, without all the details that are revealed in the New Testament to his servants, the prophets, in the Old Testament. And we, of course, have seen that men like Daniel and Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Joel and Amos and Zechariah—they had all been given little pieces of this mystery. Yes, uh, but the the point that the angels making here is there have been these mysteries throughout all of uh, all of the whole scope of history, and those mysteries have been kind of. Uh, revealed through a gr- glass darkly uh, to prophets in the Old Testament and to um, uh, writers of the New Testament scriptures as well and here in Revelation up to this point. And now this mystery of God is finished, what the angel is saying. It, it, it's, this is the end of it all, that, that the final revelation is happening here And these events that are being described in the book of Revelation, Um, this is the final revealing of the mystery. There's no more. Um, And this is another indication that there's no more scripture after the book of Revelation. So uh, it's just another um, uh, little piece of information to know for certain that when people come along with additional scriptures, no. No, because this is the, the end of it. This is, uh, the, the mystery of God is finished with these things that are about to be revealed in the rest of Revelation. Uh, there's no more. Yes. Yep, that's right. And so, and God, there, were, there have been mysteries, hidden things of God, all along. So, just think about uh, Genesis chapter 3. Uh, and, and so, God tells Adam and Eve, and Satan's there too, that it will be a seed of the woman that will strike the head of Satan what in the world is that about and then, and then the, whole, the whole rest of the Old Testament is um, it's a very uh, you know the, all the genealogies are just men uh, you know Genesis chapter 5 it's only the male descendants that are in there but at the very beginning in the very first revelation there in, in, in Genesis chapter 3 about God's plan revelation of his plan of salvation he says the seed of the woman well that's a really big mystery uh, that we don't get to understand until we see that Jesus, the Messiah, doesn't have a human father. He's the seed of a woman. And God revealed that all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, but nobody understood that, really, uh, until the the mystery was revealed when Jesus was born of a virgin. Um, but when we look back, we can say, oh, yeah, that's what he was talking about all the way back there in Genesis 3. And so that kind of pattern repeats itself in Scripture where God has revealed something, something that's true, but something that's a mystery. It's kind of a mystery. Of what, what does God really mean by the seed of a woman? That makes no sense. Okay. To these um, these patriarchal cultures and societies that continued to write down Scripture, But God made sure that it was in Scripture, that it was the seed of a woman, which would have made no sense to the people that originally wrote that down, and the people that continued to study Scriptures for thousands of years after that would have been mystified by that. It was a mystery, until we get a virgin birth. Um, Yeah, and so the same thing, I think, continues all the way through here. We've got mysteries that are revealed to Daniel, for example. about the you know the 70th week now there's there's i don't think there's any way daniel really fully understand his 70th week to and all these events that john's writing about here in the, in the tribulation but if we look back we can see oh yeah if we after we've read the descriptions of this uh, tribulation period, we can go back and see oh, yeah, Daniel's 70th week was talking about this tribulation period. Uh, but th- it was a mystery, a God's mystery, until he's gradually revealing these things. Um, and what he's saying here is the mystery of God is finished. So this is all of it, this is the end of his. This kind of revealing of his mysteries. Now, does that mean that he's revealed everything? No. Obviously, he continues to have things that are the secrets of God. It's things like the seven thunders right here in, in this chapter of Revelation. So he's not revealed everything, but what this is saying is, is now, he, with this, end, this, this tail end of Revelation that the angel is saying is about to happen, he will have revealed everything he's going to reveal. Is, is what this is saying. The mystery of God is finished. He's done revealing everything he's going to reveal with these things that are about to happen with the seventh trumpet, um, it, which includes the seven bowls and then um, the millennial kingdom and the, and the great white throne judgment. Yes. So that mystery remains. You know, when exactly this is this going to happen? And so we've seen speculation about that throughout history. Um, and we've seen spectacularly wrong speculation about it throughout history. Uh, we, we, From time to time, we get these people that say the Second Coming is, you know, April 14th of, you know, 1292 or, or you, you know, things like that have been happening throughout all of history. And they've been wrong every time. Yes. Yeah. So there's been speculation like that. and. That speculation has always been wrong, and so we've told that nobody knows the day and the hour, and so when somebody comes up with a day and an hour, they're wrong. Um, Now, eventually, of course, he is going to come again, Um, but, yes, so so foolish speculations are are just that. They're foolish speculations. So much of the detail is hidden, not revealed until the New Testament, so we get some... Some de- some uh, descriptions of things uh, end times in the Old Testament but we get much more detail of course in the New Testament uh, with Jesus Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and then of course mostly here in the book of Revelation we get additional details about what the end times would be like. Uh, To believers living at that time in a world overrun by demons and murder and sexual immorality and natural disasters, the the realization that God's plan is on schedule and the promised kingdom is near will bring great comfort and hope in the midst of judgment. The fact that God has revealed that His plan is... There's no stopping God's plan. So, you know, God is sovereign over every second of history, every molecule of the universe and so there's no stopping his plan and his plan is good and so that's a comfort to believers Um, so then the voice which I had heard from heaven I heard again speaking with me and saying go take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and the land so I went to the angel telling him to give me the book so the voice told him go get the book he goes to the angel saying hey give me the book um it's he had so he, first he'd been forbidden by this voice to write what was in the thunders then he's told go get that book out of the angel's hand really weird so john becomes an active participant in the vision so uh, most of the time he's just seeing and writing down but there have been times other times where john becomes an active participant in his own vision Think about that. He's told (laughs) this is a vision he's seeing, but he's told to go take this scroll out of the hand in the vision and eat it. Very weird. Uh, So he takes the. So the the voice tells him to take the book. It's the third time it's uh, emphasizing this sea and the land. It's a huge angel and unusual authority on the earth. So he's immediately obedient. He's told what to do, and he goes and does it. Uh, John does that throughout Revelation. He doesn't say no. He doesn't ask why for example uh, why, you know, why should I eat that no he, he goes and gets the book and he eats it like he's told um, he was told to take it and eat it and he's told very interestingly that it will make your stomach bitter but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey uh, so he takes the book and he eats it and lo and behold it's sweet in his mouth and it makes his stomach bitter um, so he's obedient like Ezekiel before him Uh, John in the vision symbolically took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it and as the angel had predicted it was sweet as honey and then when it got to his stomach it made him bitter so uh, what is this talking about here Uh, so the act of eating the scroll symbolizes absorbing and assimilating God's word so he's eating God's word Um, We've seen that uh, metaphor before in Psalm 19, Jeremiah 15, Ezekiel 3, of eating God's word, feeding on God's word. Um, And when he takes the divine word in concerning the remaining judgments, so this scroll is talking about the remaining judgments, what's coming in the seventh trumpet and the seven seals, uh, seven bowls. That's what he's eating. That's what he's taking in. Um, He finds the book both sweet as honey and also bitter. Um, and why is that? Sweet because John wanted the Lord to act in righteous judgment. He's, he's right there with the martyrs saying, how long? When is, the, when is your righteous judgment coming? But the realization of the terrible doom awaiting unbelievers turned his initial sweet taste to bitterness. He, he realizes what, this, what the implications are. Uh, for people um, when these uh, seven bowls are poured out, seventh trumpet and seven bowls um, and so it's bittersweet uh, is what the, the what that's the kind of the symbol that we're seeing there then verse 11, the last verse um, and they said to me, they said to me, so who's they? Uh, so it's he's got an angel there, he's got a voice there, so there's two of them and they both tell him, you must prophesy again concerning many people's And nations and tongues and kings. So it's not done. You're not done, John. This is not your final vision of this thing. Um, You've got you've got more prophecy to do. You're going to see more visions and have to write down more things. Um, And so it's a bittersweet experience that he's just had with eating the the Word of God and and finding out that the judgment is coming, the final judgment is coming, but it's going to be very costly for all these people, these unbelievers. So he's told you have to prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Uh, again indicates John was being commissioned a second time so he was told, he was commissioned in chapter 1 to write these things down the things that are, the things that will be, things that are yet to come he's been commissioned to do that and he's been told, been being told here again that your commission still goes on um, uh, to write the rest of the prophecies which God was going to give him uh, so you must prophesy again, he's been prophesying you got to prophesy again What he was about to learn would be more devastating than anything yet revealed and more glorious. So he was to be faithful to his duty to record all the truth he had seen and would soon see. Uh, The prophecies John would receive would relate to everyone summed up in the four people groups in 5-9 and 7-9, every tribe and tongue and language and nation. So once again, it's going to be about many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. You're going to be prophesying about everyone, the whole world, what's going to happen to the whole world. And so that emphasis has been throughout Revelation, and we get it again here, that he's going to prophesy about the end times, the final events of the whole world. So John is to warn of all the bitter judgments coming in the seventh trumpet and the seven bowls. That's really what he's being told here at the very end of chapter 10 in verse 11 here. Uh, as he, so he's, remember, he's in a vision here, but where is he physically located? He's on Patmos. He's in exile. Um, so he had no opportunity to preach to all the nations. But he was to write the prophecies and distribute them. And so he did that. Uh, we don't there's no description in 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 the book itself about how it got off Patmos, but it got off Patmos. Somebody probably came to visit him. Uh, it seems like even exiles prisoners, whatnot when paul's in Rome he's allowed all kinds of visitors uh, uh, so most likely John was allowed visitors he wasn't allowed to leave himself, but he was allowed visitors and so that's how Book of Revelation gets off the island of Patmos but so he himself was not going to get to do things like Paul did and move around and preach to people. Um, He was going to prophesy and his prophecies were going to be distributed to people uh, to warn all people of the bitterness of judgment to come and of death and of hell. And so those things that he wrote about up to now and the rest of the uh, revelation that he's going to get for the rest of the book have been distributed all over the world. The, the, the Bible has been distributed everywhere and every copy of the Bible has a book of Revelation in it. And so he has prophesied concerning all these people and it's been distributed all around the world. Uh, sinners everywhere may know because John recorded these prophecies that while judgment is presently restrained, a future day is coming when the seventh angel will sound his trumpet and sin's dominion will be broken. So this hasn't happened yet. Remember, this is... Prophecy about what's coming in the future. But it's a solemn warning. Solemn warning to people now that this is coming. Uh, The freedom of Satan and his demons will come to an end. God has given them uh, some slack. He's given, he's, they're controlled. They're not allowed to do anything outside of the bounds of his will. But he's given them freedom uh, to wreak havoc Uh, and we get descriptions of more freedom that they get like releasing those four demon and a horde of demon armies to go kill a third so he's given them some freedom uh, to Satan and his demons Um, but that's going to come to an end Uh, we get a description of that here coming up in the rest of the book of Revelation how Uh, Satan is is bound in chains uh, for a thousand years and then when he's let out he's gonna be tossed into the lake of fire yeah so um, it's interesting that in the previous um, the fifth trumpet it's particularly they're only allowed to torment those who don't have the, the mark of God on their forehead. So in the fifth trumpet, we know for certain that he's, they're only going to be tormenting unbelievers. Uh, it doesn't very specifically say that in the sixth trumpet, um, so we don't know for certain uh, who exactly they're going to kill. But my my guess is that it's the same. Um, yeah, that it's the same. Uh, are going be Yeah, they're definitely sealed for protected for the whole time so they're they're not going to be killed by anything those 144,000. Yeah. Um, so th- this freedom of saying is going to come to an end. Godless men will be judged and believers will be glorified uh, that's that's the end of the story uh, This chapter presents an interlude of hope tinged with bitterness that reminds all Christians of their evangel- evangelistic responsibilities to warn the world of that day and so once again this is should this should act as a motivation to us that that we know this is coming uh there's a there's a world out there that's uh, that's just blindly blundering their way to a, a cliff. They're, they're about to walk off a cliff, and they don't know it, and we know it, and so we need to warn them. Um, and so we need to... Uh, have this provide us with fresh motivation. Um, we should already have mo- motivation enough from God's command uh, to preach the gospel, but this is, this is a, another reason for us to be motivated to do that. All right, any questions about any of those things? So, so yeah, so two things are facts that we need to keep in mind. Um, I, I don't know how long I have. Uh, this could be my last day. And I don't know how long my unbelieving friend has. It could be his last day. Um, And so, right, we're we're not promised any additional time, and so um, the time is precious. You know, we don't know, you don't know how much of it you have, and you don't know how much of it the other your unbelieving family member has, either. Um, and so we need to seize the opportunities that, that the Lord provides to share the gospel. And you don't have to be perfect. Um, the, where's the power? The power is in the gospel itself, the, the, the word of God. The power is in the word of God. Um, the, the gospel is the power of salvation and to life. Um, not my words, not the way I say it. But the, the scripture itself, the, the, the actual truths of the scripture and the gospel are the things that are powerful um, n- n- not us. so, and so it's not and, and it's the Holy Spirit that, that, that regenerates and not me either. And so, um, so it's not like it's my responsibility to save someone, but it is my responsibility to open my mouth and And speak to them. All right, let me close this with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, this revelation that you've made about the end times. Uh, We thank you for the opportunities that you give us to interact with people, uh, friends and coworkers and neighbors and family members that so desperately need to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ because this uh, that we read about is coming. Um, And it will be um, a a bitter thing uh, to live through these days as an unbeliever. Um, And so, uh, Lord, we ask that you would give us... uh, motivation through your Holy Spirit to, uh, to preach the gospel to those around us. Uh, we thank you so much for the love that you've shown in, um, in coming up with this great plan of redemption, and we thank you for your mercy in delaying. Uh, that you've delayed uh, up to this point your final judgment and you continue to delay to allow people the opportunity to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. That's a that's a wonderful mercy, Lord, and, and we, uh, we we appreciate that and we thank you for it. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have on this Lord's Day for uh, the things that we're about to, um, uh, to do in, in corporate worship and we pray that that corporate worship would be acceptable in your sight and pleasing to you and glorifying to your name. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.